You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. Thank you for tuning in for episode 40, Batman R.I.P. I don't want to talk about this alone. That's not how I do things on here. So returning to the show to help me make some sense of Grant Morrison is BOF's own Javi Truio. Javi, hello and welcome back. What's up, Ryan? Spelled like Lauer? Lower. <laughs> That's right. Spelled lower. like lower. It's the only yeah. way somebody can correctly uh, pronounce my name is it's yeah. it's lower. It's lower. Um, yeah, it's it's been a while. You've been on this show before. We talked a little Batman Year Three. Uh, what a great discussion that was. And you also dropped your favorite Batman story then. So rather than I ask you again what it is, I'd rather ask what kind of Batman um, stories have you been reading lately? Aside from what we're about to talk about. Uh, just, I've been keeping up with the current books, uh, with detective and with Batman. Mm -hmm. And of course, right now we're in the era of future state. Mm -hmm. Um, but outside of that, the thing that's really been, um, I've really been into with Batman has been like all the, all the extra titles and black label things that we're getting like Batman damned white Knight, curse of the white Knight. I've been reviewing uh, Batman Catwoman for BOF and, um, just those added continuity things are just really scratching that itch right now for me, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, uh, you're reviewing that you're reviewing also for Batman on film, the black and white series, uh, which I mean, I really liked the first, the first issue that that came out, Batman and Catwoman, those two issues that have come out have been, I think like fantastic. Uh, Yeah. The, the outside of, the two main Batman titles, those books have kind of gotten me a little bit more excited than the the main title books. So, I mean, we're spoiled. Three Jokers. Three Jokers. Yeah. The, the black label stuff that you're mentioning, like all of that stuff, it's just been, it's been stellar. Like we're, we're spoiled right now when it comes to Batman content. For sure. So I've, I've been really just diving into that and uh, enjoying the hell out of it. Absolutely. Now, before we were spoiled with uh, Batman content, we, or maybe we were spoiled, I've been 12 years ago when Grant Morrison was writing this trippy ending, end, the end of all Batman stories in comics of Batman R.I.P. They were originally released as issues number 676 and 681. Um, since then, it's been collected and released in a hardcover and a trade paperback. It's available on the DC Universe Infinite in single issues. It's also available on like Comixology. And it's also in the Grant Morrison Batman Omnibus Volume 1, which is also a release. Um, it's kind of a culmination of his long-running Batman story, which we've, on the Batman Book Club, we've talked about some of those uh, arcs in Batman and Son with Rob Myers and the Club of Heroes with Justin Kowalski. And so this has kind of been building... It was building at the time to a big culmination. Uh, 
Javi, do you remember, well, first of all, for this episode, which version did you read? Uh, for this, I went back to my deluxe edition hardcover. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't beat that form. Well, you can beat that format if you've got it in absolute, but there isn't an absolute <laughs> RIP. Um, hopefully DC will get around to that someday. But uh, I went hardcover for my reread and then note taking. I went to, what is it called now? It just changed today. Uh, DC Universe Infinite. Uh-huh. Uh, so then I read the single issues again through the guided view mode uh, just to see if I appreciated anything differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read it on for this show. I read it through the Hoopla digital app that I'm constantly talking about in my in the Twitter feed and on episodes. And I have the original first printing Alex Ross covers in yes. uh, my long box right now and i didn't go and grab those and pull them out to read them but those are some phenomenal covers and a funny story actually when you and i were in discussion about planning this episode uh i used to have the hardcover i have quite the relationship with grant morrison's batman run in which batman r.i.p uh which this goes into the next part of if if you remember um like how you felt at the time when you first read it For me, I was confused, then I liked it, then I didn't like it, then I was kind of pissed and annoyed by it, and then I was okay (laughs) with it, and it was all over the place. And though I was still mixed, I constantly reread the damn thing thinking, oh, this is the time that it's all going to make sense. And so when the hardcover came out, I figured for some reason, this is going to have aspects that's going to make it all click together for me. And it did include a bit of a... uh, like a a prologue of sorts that wasn't released in the initial run between Batman and the Joker, kind of like setting the table of something that's to come. And that was released in uh, DC universe number zero. Yeah. I thought if I'm remembering right, I want to say it was a free comic book day uh, issue. Okay. So it had a bunch of stories setting up what was going to be coming in the next year. And so they gave us just a little taste of what we were in store with RIP. Yeah, so the this deluxe hardcover, it had that included with it, as well as the two, the two following issues of Batman 682 and 683. And I, though I had the hardcover, so I double dipped and I kept reading it, I eventually got so pissed with it that I'm just like, I don't need this anymore. And I got rid of that book. And, yeah, I know. And then now is the time where it's like, damn it. <laughs> because you can't just go to Amazon and buy a brand new one. Instead, you've got to look in the used. And uh, some of the some of what I've seen, it's just I I'm not willing to pay. So, anyways, what were your feelings when you first read this? And did you first read it when it came out? Yeah, I definitely read it when it first came out uh, monthly from DC. Uh, I think I'd only lived here in Austin for about two years at this point. So I w- would have been going to a shop down on uh, UT campus um, and pick those up. So I remember being very confused, I think. <laughs> okay. Because there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of references. And I was familiar with a good portion of these stories that um, Morrison was referencing to. Because his whole theory was everything 
that's been published about Batman in the main titles happened in some fashion. Mm -hmm. So Robin dies at dawn, the Batman of Zur and R. Um, some of these weirder 50s concepts, he was trying to explain it all through his run and make everything count as part of this grand tapestry, this epic American myth. And I didn't quite get it at the time um, because we were, we were in the story, we were living it. I think the only way to really appreciate this is to see the big picture after it's all done. Mm -hmm. um, somewhere along the way, I want to say towards the end of Batman and Robin, which would be Morrison's sequel of this, he left the Bat book, the main Batman title, and launched a Batman and Robin book, which starred Dick as Batman and Damien as Robin. And that continued a lot of the threads from R.I.P., um, and then that also had to spin off the return of Bruce Wayne, which all kind of spun out of final crisis until they all come together at the end of uh, Batman and Robin. And then Morrison went into Batman incorporated. So I don't even know how many issues that is altogether, but I mean, it's this massively epic story. So while RIP is a conclusion to like his time, almost his time on Batman, cause he still had a couple issues after in the grand scheme of things, it's maybe I don't even I don't even say it's the second act. I'd say it's the end of the first act. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. And he'd even said so to build on what you'd said of everything that has happened in Batman's comics has happened to him. Yeah, uh, it's like Morrison had said that he was the original plan was that he was going to write 15 issues and that was it. But because of him embracing the, the character's history and starting to incorporate and build on and starting to make this story, you know, bigger and bigger, it, it kept him on for like seven years. And yeah, looking back now, he was, he was constructing the story in Batman RIP. He was doing the final crisis story. He was doing in both of those kind of culminating and uh, which leading to Batman, the return of Bruce Wayne, as well as Batman and Robin. And then out of that built uh, Batman Incorporated. So Morrison now he's got this massive world that he's kind of in charge of. And like you said, with this kind of feeling like the end of the first act, I think it's because I had a hard time with it because I was unfulfilled by the end. Cause it already seemed like, we were building towards something. This was the capper. This is what it's all coming to. And instead it was almost like, well, we're changing course as we've gone along. And now this, the big culmination has turned out to be like a tease for more of what's to come. And I think I was really frustrated with that. And not to mention in this story, especially when you've got, you know, in this second to last issue of batman r.i.p you have jezebel jet saying now do you get it and then like the joker is saying of like now do you get it and they're like red and black do you get it and stuff and i'm like i don't get it what the hell are they talking about and i felt like an idiot because i was like this isn't thing pieces aren't connecting with me that are like make me oh my gosh i get it you know what i mean i don't know if you felt that way too but that was just i think that was my struggle with morrison's run well, and I think talking about it now, it's making me rem remember that, you know, there was a bit of like, it's called Batman R.A.P. And they were, I want to say they were like, he's going to die. And I'm like, well, that can't be right. That's got to be comic book hype. Because yeah. when this was being put out, it was the summer of 2008. 
like Batman 676 is cover dated June 2008. So it probably came out in April. Yeah. Um, I guess it would have been Batman 678 would have come out two weeks before the Dark Knight. So like, there's no way they're going to kill off Batman the year that they're putting out a Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Like this is not going to happen, but I still have like this feeling of trepidation that something could happen to Bruce. Um, and reading this as it came out, the way that 681 ends is fairly ambiguous. <clears throat> and then it, it, it goes into final crisis, which was coming out a month at a time and then you had the last rights, which is included in my deluxe hardcover, which kind of goes over the whole legend of Batman, but in like an alternate reality aspect as well. But really that's just part of what's going on in final crisis, because there's a reason he's living or conjuring up this life. And so you don't really get an answer. So I totally get how you're feeling. Cause yeah, it was really confusing in hindsight, it's less so because from there, Last Rites goes into um, whatever happened to the Cape Crusader, which is also Batman being dead, even a funeral. And then we get Dick as Batman in 687. And Bruce doesn't really appear again in the main Batman title until 700. And a lot of that was like a flashback story. Mm-hmm. And then in 701 and 702, we get RIP the missing chapter, which isn't included in the deluxe edition. So even more gaps of like what happened between the end of RIP and where we find Bruce in Final Crisis. Some more of the kinks get worked out, like Morrison's really filling in the puzzle pieces with that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, back in the day, back in 2008, reading RIP the way it ends it i could see why a lot of people would be frustrated with what was going on and fed up with the whole thing yeah and i mean even now looking or getting to read it all when when i want to it's it's still not having the big big ah moment for me and i think generally that's what that's what keeps this from being like a great story to me and we'll, we can start dipping into some of the, the different aspects. And I mean, maybe by the end, it's going to be a little bit more clear. But as of now, and because when this came out, I was constantly, almost before every issue of RIP, when it was coming out, I was reading, going back and like rereading the Batman run by Morrison. Because I was like, okay, wait, start putting pieces together. Like, you know, well, we know of Dr. Herc because he appeared in 664 and there's some isolation experiment. Okay, and, and the Zuran R, oh, okay, that, I see the graffiti back in 655 on the wall and it's starting to pop up around here and the Jezebel Jet, I didn't need a refresher. No, oh, that's the big love interest, this, this go-round and the Club of Heroes and, and those villains. And I guess I appreciate the ambition of it all. So like right at the be toward the beginning we see dr hurt here the black glove um he's he's organized you know he's got a a club of villains in which we're kind of we get the idea from the club of heroes story arc 
and like, well, if there's a club of heroes and there's a club of villains and they're all serving Dr. Hurt, who's got this drastic plan that he's been playing a long game to take down Bruce Wayne and the Batman. And a very long game. Yeah. And I, the, I mean, let's just start with him. So that Robin dies at dawn story that you referenced is way back from Batman 156. But I mean, Dr. Hurt was just a doctor and here it's kind of played, you know, like Batman did it himself because he, it's alluded to in this story because he kind of wants to understand the, like where the Joker's coming from. And he, he wants to experience death because then he knows what everything, or he knows what to expect with death. Like it's a self um, preparation. And meanwhile, Dr. Hurt was placing this Zuranar code into his head so that when that, like it's an attack on his brain basically to shut him down. And that idea on its own, it's kind of like, that's, ref- that's original. We, it, this wasn't another story of like, yeah, Batman's going to go fight the Joker. They're going to punch each other. And then Joker's an Arkham. It's like, it's ambitious in how it was going for something different. And I definitely appreciated that. Yeah. And the, the Zuranar aspect of it, I mean, that, I, mean, I was going through some, down some rabbit holes with that today. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a blog that I found back during the, towards the end of Batman and Robin's run, uh, Rick Dad Blogspot. And he, I mean, he was like taking this, his examination to the next level. Like, this is serious literature. Like, these are all these illusions that they're making. Like, this would be like a college level course mm. with like Watchmen and the Dark Knight. That's how deep this guy was going. Um, and so that made me appreciate and understand the whole storyline a lot more. And not to get into more of the later stuff, because um, that's a whole other thing when we get into the end of Incorporated, or I'm sorry, the end of Batman and Robin. But at the end of 681, like the last page, uh, Bruce and his parents are leaving the, the theater. Mm-hmm. And everything is red and black just like we've been seeing before and they they just saw mark of zorro like we all know and uh as they're walking out you can see that there's a shadow in the background which winds up being joe chill presumably but bruce is all high talking about the movie and uh, he's like imagine if zorro came riding down the street right now on his horse and his dad kind of chides him about it um and he says, the sad thing is they probably throw someone like Zorro in Arkham. And the last line of the book is Bruce saying, what? Which we saw in the recent, um, what was the new, the Choose Your Own Adventure animated movie? Was Death. it called Death, Death in the Family? Yeah. Okay. They did adapt a moment of that in that movie, which is really cool. But as I, as I read on this blog today, I, re, I was reminded that Zorro in Arkham Bruce misheard it. And so what you probably heard was Zur and R. Like Zur and R is a shorter version, a slurred version of Zorro and Arkham. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, because I mean that that's something Morrison would have had to have thought up and created himself. 
because there's no way back in the 50s they're like Zorro and Arkham we're going to lay this seed and 40 years later some Scotsman is going to pick up on it but um, that becomes that's his trigger word that hurt later in plants by going through his memories and it's also the backup system that Bruce is making in his mind to protect him from some assault. And so this... let's, let's dissect <laughs> that for a moment because therein lies almost like my first red flag in the Dr. Hurt planted this, this code in Bruce and he was unaware of it but yet somehow also created a, a fail-safe for that Zurinar code? Yeah. So, so Hurt, you know, did his mind stuff back in Robin Dies at Dawn, unbeknownst to Bruce that he was a malevolent figure. Mm-hmm. When Bruce later, I guess during 52, is going through the ritual of Thogel, mm-hmm. and he, where he's kind of replicating that experience where It's sensory deprivation. It's like feeling death without dying. Um, He's meeting with that monk um, and they're, they're sipping their uh, chai and everything is painted. It's white, red, and black. So we have that red and black color motif coming up again. And Bruce is talking to the monk and saying that beyond the visions that he was having in sensory deprivation, he found something dark inside, the shape of something I can't even say or describe a scar on my consciousness. This is something had been hidden there, tattooed, scabbed into place and long forgotten, where my memories just run out. I found a hole in my mind waiting to open up and swallow me whole. So that's where he starts going into the um, different cover personalities that traumatized kids use to deal with repressed memories. And something occurs to him that he can make up like a personality um, backup human operating system. So that's where he finds out about the Zurinar programming and he decides to use that trigger that hurt implanted as the word for the trigger to get him to operate the backup system. Mm. So all the while, while he's getting this subliminal message of Zurinar, it's, you know, also kind of bolstering the Batman of Zurinar aspect of him. But the problem is, the reason it doesn't quite work for, for him in the story is when the black glove launches their attack in the bat cave with Jezebel and the things start going off and he can't read the screens. He says, I'm not ready. So while he was still working on it, it wasn't, he wasn't fully developed in that technique yet. So that's why we get him stumbling around and talking to Batmite and wearing the different suit. Um, to a degree, I would, I think, because he didn't have that fully in place yet. Well, that sheds some light on it, and it's fitting. It's not totally dismissive on my part because it's fitting that, like, that's what Batman would do because Batman has a plan A and a plan B and then a plan C, D, and E for plan B. Like, he's just – he's prepared for everything. So it's not out of the realm that Batman would go to these these lengths to be prepared for something like this, especially if he's going in to the Thogol 
you know, ritual and he's thinking and he's realizing there's something just kind of, I can tell there's just something on my mind. that's just, it's not okay. Well, what if it's this? And so, Hey, then maybe I'll do this and this and this. So I guess that, that part does make sense. But with Dr. Hurt planting the seeds for this and this experiment, what's his reasoning? Because he, he's coming across of, he wants to, or he's, he's saying that I'm Thomas Wayne, I'm your father. Mm-hmm. And Joe Chill was supposed to shoot Martha and Bruce that night. And then Thomas was going to fake his death. And then also alluding that, or uh, a smear, running a smear campaign to like Gordon and the Gotham Gazette that of, you know, Alfred and Martha, like their, their bad history. And then he's, when he attacks Alfred in the Batcave and he says, you know, like, basically if Bruce is even my child, you know, uh, alleging that Alfred and Martha, uh, you know, got together and Bruce and had Bruce and all this stuff. But it's just like, that's just kind of weird to me because this many years later and he's playing this kind of game to do what to Bruce, because he has the opportunity to, to kill Bruce but he doesn't. Instead, they just load him up with, on crystal meth and throw him in the, the slums of Gotham. And then at the end, it's all, it's a big bet and a gamble of, you know, like against Batman and his odds and Batman and he doesn't, and he thinks Batman's going to die. So in the end, it's like, so all this is just to win money from a bet with other rich people, you know, and that also just kind of doesn't, that doesn't sit with me. So um, have the floor, Javi. So, you know, like the Flash, most of his villains' motivations, like the classic rogues, is to rob banks, get some money, and match wits. Yeah. And you know, try and get away with it. With the Gotham rogues, it's a little bit different. They all have their different um, mental health issues and, and different motivations. Um, usually, it goes towards murder and general crime. There's not like a Lex Luthor, I want to run everything. So Hurt's motivation isn't um, something that simple. He's not, he's not trying to necessarily just kill Batman. Um, and to get more into his motivation, you have to figure out who Hurt, Dr. Hurt really is. Is, it, is he something, Ryan, that you like assume at face value he's just a guy named Simon Hurt? Or do you think he's Thomas Wayne or do you think he's someone else? Because the key to what he's trying to do is in his real identity. I have always took him as he is Dr. Hurt. I never fell for the fact that he was Thomas Wayne. I, I've said this and Ryan Haas is one who likes to laugh at me for it, but I just, do, <laughs> I don't like the Thomas and Martha Wayne not being the do-gooders of Gotham. Yeah. I don't like that they're corrupt. I don't, I don't really, of course, stories can be good that have that, but my preference is that Batman himself is stronger. Bruce Wayne is stronger by his parents setting a great example. And they're these angels of the city are, are killed by you know uh, a joe chill that's just more effective to me than this idea of this thomas wayne wannabe and then morrison never he left that as a possibility 
he didn't say, ha, just kidding. This actually, this is Simon Hurt and he's, you know, he's an ass and he thought he was Thomas Wayne and he's not. He left it open to where you could, you could question that. And of course, as a storyteller, that's like, yeah, that's, that's a choice and that's totally fine. For me, I'm like, shut that damn door as fast as you can because I don't, I don't like it. And I don't think it holds up that well. Well, one of these days, maybe around Halloween time, we're going to have to dive into your feelings on Batman Damned and how the Waynes are represented in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, there, there are several clues throughout, not just RIP, but uh, the preceding issues. We're talking about like the Black Glove storyline or the Club of Heroes storyline and Batman and Son. We're... Batman's fighting something else, like something bigger. There's a great scene in one of the earlier issues of Batman and Gordon up on the rooftop. Um, and they, they've beaten up some of the rogue cops that are dressed as Batman. Yeah. And, and Gordon asks him, why did you have to choose an enemy that's as old as time and bigger than all of us, Batman? And, and Batman replies, same reason you did, Jim. I figured I could take him. This isn't over. So what that starts to lay up is that this isn't just a man. There's something else inside it. Something else behind it that's driving this character. And we get into it a little bit more with Batman and Robin. But basically, Dr. Hurt is the devil, or the personification of a devil, because DC has got different mythologies and different versions of hell with like Neuron and Satanus and Blaze. But he's, he's a devil-like character. And what does the devil want but like the corruption of souls, the torture of souls? So he's not necessarily in it to, you know, get the Wayne fortune or... Um, kill batman he he wants the corruption of his soul and so the whole thing with like thomas wayne being the drug addict that was planning to kill his wife and son uh all that's just a misdirect he's trying to get to bruce any way he can to wear him down to tear at what makes him who he is because as those who watched the dark knight that summer know the batman really is incorruptible that's, that's supposed to be his thing. And so this whole setup is about trying to take Batman apart by, you know, injecting him with that weapons grade meth and heroin, by making, by this hypnotic suggestions, by trying to tear apart his family and discredit his parents in front of all of Gotham. Like he's trying to corrupt him to the dark side, uh, and that's where we wind up at the climax is he wants him to either give up the cape and cow or to serve the black glove and, and, you know, get rid of his virtue. I was going to say, so if his goal is to get him to quit this, and I mean, Jezebel's in on it the whole time too. And she even has a scene with, um, with Bruce and kind of talking about how it's almost like a childlike fantasy dressing up yeah. as Batman and she kind of hints a little bit of, you know, I think she plants that 
that seed of of doubt in his brain and with her wanting him to get rid of batman i'm I'm still not i'm not connecting why okay so then what why like i'm not connecting how that connects with his point and what he's trying to do other than he could claim a victory of like haha i'm i you got rid of i made you get rid of being batman and that's just i don't feel like that's enough if that's what were to happen i don't feel like that's enough for like a victory if it's i mean i see the importance of that of oh damn you got you got batman bruce wayne to say i'm batman no more but <laughs> I, I like i don't know that's that just not a, maybe that's just a me thing then like in all of this it's like these uh this criticisms it's just a batman story that's not connecting for me because i know there are a ton of fans that put this story way high up there and love this story and obviously you chose it for a reason so you hold it in high regard and i always hold it in that very like i'm just not sure how i feel about it 12 years later 37 readings later and i'm still like (laughs) i i don't know it just and hurts trying to be like he's creating hurt as this you know this villain like this top tier villain and he just doesn't he doesn't work for me in all this even in this planning even though even as the devil incarnate as you've said it's like there's just some speed bumps along the way that aren't that just don't make that plausible for me it's all about temptation and corruption and destroying innocence and at the end of it and this isn't something that he's just done for batman with the black glove they've been doing this for decades because back in um we got in the club of heroes arc that there was a a black glove movie um starring mangrove pierce directed by john mayhew which is the story of two innocent lovers corrupted and destroyed by a group of super rich gamblers which I mean, you can even start to wonder if the Wayne murders were part of a black glove deal gone wrong or one of their parties that, you know, didn't turn out the right way. I've seen some theories online that because of the way that Morrison phrases the invitation to the black glove and the, the theme is the dance macabre, that it's supposed to be playing off the winged creature's uh, party the theme that they went to that the waynes went to where thomas dressed up in that bat costume for the first time that later inspired bruce so it's all kind of tied in together of this this long game but i mean batman's not their first target um and you know wouldn't have been the last either and so like every little inconsistency the it was trying to undermine Batman at every corner emotionally. Um, I mean, he pretty much says it at the end. I mean, we have, we have Joker um, basically referring to hurt as the devil. And then at the climax, when Bruce is going after him, he also mentions him as, as the source of all evil. Like, did I reach the end? Did I hit the limits of reason and find the devil waiting? So I think it's, it's subtle and 
it gets flushed out. And that's the problem too with back in the days, like it gets flushed out so much more um, because of final crisis and being thrown back through time because of the Omega sanction and Dr. Hurt's presence throughout the centuries in Gotham. So it's kind of hard to talk about RIP in a microcosm because so much of that backstory does come later when Bruce starts at the beginning of time and starts spiraling through Gotham history where he meets his grandparents. And, um, and one of my favorite stories as a kid, just because it was so weird, the dark night, dark city um, that I never in a million years would have thought that the character that was driving the Riddler, this demon Barbathos was going to become the thing that was pushing Thomas hurt uh, to do what he did through all this. And then later becomes like the crux of metal and death metal. Yeah. I haven't read uh, death metal. So (laughs) (laughs) in metal, I, I kind of already forget what really happens in metal. Um, But no, what you'd mentioned with, when it came to the black glove, I, I do appreciate that Morrison is building on each arc and each issue basically you know like we even get where not many people read that was it 662 or 663 that was almost like written in novel form the joker story the clown that's probably my least favorite issue of it's a that's a tough read 663 uh it's written in like a short story kind of form whatever and um but i mean you even get you get the joker saying and now you know what you know like what it feels like to be the clown at midnight so he references that that single issue like we get a little bit of damien and how the book kind of ends is such a nod to that first that first arc with talia and the ninja man bats and the club of heroes show up so that's touching on the club of heroes story and el sombrero and and then the simon hurt in that 664 like you know he pops back up again and the black glove aspect like i just i do really appreciate that part that he wasn't just pulling stuff out of thin air because if hurt would have been less effective for sure if we didn't even get that that one appearance of the batman in isolation and he was overseeing it and this because for a guy to just feel like he just shows up and is like i'm the most powerful i took out batman it's it's cheap so in that aspect it's like I'll never say that Morrison doesn't know what he's doing. He's a very competent writer. He's a very good writer. And he takes chances that work for some and don't for others. Uh, here with that stuff, it's just still such a... And even getting into the the actual culmination and the end of Batman and Robin run, it hurt still kind of doesn't do it for me. And I don't like the the smear campaign he tries. And maybe it's because I don't know what else they could have done with it, but it is very small also. You get like one page, it's got a couple panels of, is it the the mayor or the publisher of the newspaper that reveals the stuff to Gordon? And then Gordon shows up like in that second to last issue, I think, at Wayne Manor yeah. and gets under attack. And that's where Talia shows up. And it's kind of like, that's it. And it's not like I needed a whole issue devoted to it. It was just kind of like, it raised even more questions, especially when you've got Gordon showing up at Wayne Manor 
and then Robin's there, and then Talia shows up, and then at the very end, where Gordon's there, Robin's there, Talia's there, and the Ninja Man Bats are there, and she's talking about my beloved, to where it's just kind of like, wait, are we supposed to pretend that Gordon doesn't know who Bruce Wayne is? Or, <laughs> like, because <laughs> yeah. Gordon's way too smart to be like, oh, gee, this is quite a coincidence. You're a detective now. You don't believe in coincidence. Um, I'm going off all over the place, but that's I blame Morrison on that one, okay? I can't keep my thoughts straight on course. Exactly. So anything that I said sparked any reaction in you whatsoever? Um, No, I think think you have a a very valid, very fair point that it is. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying that I'm right. It's just that's where it's coming from. And I would love for the people who praise the story to help win me over on making it all snap together. No, it, it does seem very superfluous because at the end of the day, we don't really get to see Bruce deal with that a whole bunch because Gordon's whole point going to the mansion is to talk to Bruce about it, to give him like a heads up. So it serves to get Gordon in place for the finale where he doesn't really do much beyond bear witness. So I think it's more, since it doesn't really affect Batman, because he doesn't find out about it until after 681 in the in the missing chapter of R.I.P. Where he's like, okay, we'll deal with this after I take a nap and do this Justice League thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just more to get the reader doubting about what's going on and, and to foster that air of mystery. Because even getting Gordon to the mansion and having him having to go through the traps, I mean, really, it doesn't impact the story in any one way it's like well okay we've we've got gordon there at the end and he's like let's arrest these guys but yeah it doesn't really serve much of the story when the main focus is on batman overcoming these odds and having to face temptation and make his decision on whether or not he's gonna maybe maybe that affects that affects her in the long run for me of he's not threatening because that it quickly because i wanted it to but also it did quickly kind of close that door too i'm like this just isn't a possibility because you're it's not really being addressed that much either and i don't think it's there wasn't a bombshell of like oh shit like that is like Thomas, Martha, and Bruce are the only three that would know this, and he just said it, or he just showed something up. You know what I mean? He didn't. He referenced something that only that tight circle would know. That could, and something that we've known for a long time, not just like um, created of like, hey, remember that one little secret that only the three of us know? Well, I know that secret. It's like something said that's part of Batman lore. I don't know what it is. I'm just spitballing of a possibility that could, you know, make that threat a little more plausible and maybe get me a little bit questioning even more to where, Oh, I don't want this to be true. But in this story, like that's really possible. And instead in this story, I'm like, well, this guy clearly is not Thomas Wayne. So what else does he want? What's he trying to do? Well, that's not really working for me. And it, I could like the story better if hurt was more, more threatening. Which is funny because it's like, look at all the shit that he does to Bruce in this long run. <laughs> He's pretty damn threatening, <laughs> but it, it didn't, maybe he needed, maybe he needed to be egghead. 
There you go. If he was Egghead, I'd have been like, one of the greatest Batman stories of all time. And this is why Egghead needs to be show up more. So let's... I had a thought about that. I'm trying to... It was fleeting now. Um, Alfred... I mean, he's trying to discredit... I, I felt like Alfred was in jeopardy when he gets captured by um, the black glove. Which I think that's a great, that's a great sequence. I think that's creepy. um, When the, the black glove pops up on the monitor and Bruce's, you know, Bruce's Zuranar is popping up and the, the panel of like, you know, they're starting to surround him as he flops on the ground and then Alfred's there and the one comes out of the water and they're beating it. Like all that I think is like, that's really like it's weird to say it's really cool but it's i think it's a really good sequence it's haunting it's menacing it's it's creepy carry on and thinking back on it now trying to remember you know 12 years ago 13 Mm -hmm. years ago i I did have doubt in my mind if hurt really was some aspect of thomas wayne okay so yeah because i've it's hard to like differentiate like, okay, this is what I know now. And he's absolutely not, but no, I, it is coming back to me that there was an aspect of that where I thought maybe he was. And when he, when he does come to the bat cave and he breaks in and he does try on Thomas Wayne's suit mm-hmm. and says how perfectly it fits. Yeah. Like that's designed to make you uncomfortable and, and plant that seed of doubt. Um, so I guess at the end of the day, it, it was something that worked for me and didn't quite yeah. work for you on that. On I that wish aspect. it worked for me. I do. So I, why would I not want more Batman stories that I absolutely love? I wish, I wish it did, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, off the beaten path here. I want to talk about the, the one issue, which might be six, eight, or I'm sorry, six seventy eight, maybe the one where Bruce wakes up from, um, having had the crystal meth and two fun notes is this is the first time that I've read this story since I've, uh, I've lived in Chicago. So definitely when he's in downtown Gotham, well, this is illustrated by Tony Daniel and Tony Daniel lives in Chicago. So this only makes sense. Yeah. This only makes sense that in one of the shots where uh, I don't know, because I'm reading it digitally. It says digitally, it's like page 65, but where Honor Jackson is wearing the sign and says Gulf War veteran, a nation, whatever. The panel before that shows like the, the, uh, like the train, the train tracks, the elevated train tracks. And that definitely like almost looks exactly how some of those downtown uh, stops look like and being the, the L the elevated train that's above the main streets in downtown Chicago with a, a landscape like that. And that's instantly what I thought with that. I'm like, Oh my gosh, well that looks, that's like perfectly illustrated to what some of those downtown stops that I've been on look like. And then a couple of pages later you get, or it's actually the very next page uh, where Bruce is running with the shopping cart. And there's a, on the, the bottom right is a building. It kind of looks like a diamond top. And that's like, quote unquote, the diamond building in Chicago that's called the Smurfit Stone Building. And actually that is in the Metropolis um, skyline. I don't know if it pops up in Man of Steel, but it is definitely in the skyline in Batman vs Superman and Justice League. So that was like another fun thing to see too, is like that's part of, you know, like that's a Chicago skyline shot. And that is definitely 
that building. Like too many coincidences that the artist drew these things and he lives in Chicago and there's stuff that's in Chicago. Anyway, it's nerdy. I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, look at that. That's kind of fun. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah. And um, if I ever have lunch with Tony Daniel, um, I'm going to ask him those two things. He's like, hey, Ren, so what do you want to talk about? Like, well, I've got two panels <laughs> to ask you about in Batman RIP. Uh, but that that's kind of, I don't know, those were kind of fun discoveries for me on this reading. And let's talk about Honor Jackson. Yes. Yes. A homeless man who stumbles upon Bruce Wayne. Well, I think we really need to start at the beginning. Yes, he does pop up at the very, like at the beginning in the I mean, Batmobile it, chase. Yeah. I swear, I, rendered. I always forget that he pops up at the beginning and the amount of money that he's handed, which is $200. Yeah. And why they're specific in saying $200. Oh, because two issues later, so Bruce spends the day with him. I mean, this is, if you're listening, I'm sure you've read this, so spoiler, whatever. But Bruce spends all day with them. He's told to go at this place and say, Honor Jackson sent you. All of a sudden, Honor Jackson is not next to Bruce. And then Bruce goes to this destination and they say, oh, yeah, he's uh, he's gone. He spent $200 on like their heaviest stuff and died yesterday. So Bruce caused, in a sense, caused this man's or funded this man's death. But he died and Bruce spent all day with him. So what's the point of Bruce hallucinating this character? What's what's the deal with honor jackson that that is an excellent question one i've been pondering all day okay so to take it back just a little bit sure before then uh batman intercedes from uh the green vulture running down honor jackson Mm -hmm. rolls down his window and honor looks at him and says you have a very kind face which uh, has Robin asked, when was the last time you heard that? He's like, there's a couple hundred dollars in the dash. A couple hundred. Okay. So he didn't specifically, but when we say but, couple, I mean, we a always couple is two. Two, yeah. two, two, like in Two-Face or mm-hmm. two meaning double meaning deuce and Joker trumps deuce, as he says later. Uh, but when we next see Honor Jackson, uh, you know, th- that's when Bruce is down and out. And he's calling them a junkie. He's telling them to get out. And then he sees his face and he recognizes them because of that first meeting that he says, I, Honor Jackson never forgets a good turn. Mm-hmm. So he does make, you know, he alludes to that reference of like, you've got a kind face and takes him under his wing. So as we find out later, you know, he OD'd like the day before Bruce saw him as Bruce. It kind of makes me wonder if he was one of the people corrupted then by the black glove. Like if maybe the black glove were the dealers that gave him that, like it was part of the bet, like one of the little side bets they have going on. Um, But that really doesn't explain how he would come back as like, a guardian angel guiding Bruce. Yeah. But he has to be there in some way because he gives Bruce the bat radio. Yep. 
So he can't Otherwise, just, it could all, exactly. It all could be hallucination, except in brute, like there's like physical transference of something there. And yeah, in this case, it's the bat radio, and it's like okay, well then he, then he's not just an hallucination. And I'm wondering if there's something with his glasses too, because he's got one like normal lens, or maybe it's mm-hmm. knocked out, and the other one's like a sunglasses type lens where it's all black. So is he like half good? half evil um and the bat radio when he gives it to him it's in that red and black checkerboard pattern which is a theme that comes up over and over again um throughout this initial part of the run uh red and black is brought up a lot in that prose issue um obviously harley's her original costumes red and black and the dc universe um prologue they mentioned red and black a lot it's what triggers the poison in the flowers mm-hmm. and when he uh, pulls out the bat radio it's in like a red and black uh, piece of cloth and so I, I don't have an exact answer for that other than i'm wondering if like red symbolizes life because of red is the color of blood and then black is death so maybe he's you know, he's half alive and half dead. And that's how he's kind of able to go between worlds. He's like, he's there, but he's not there. Uh, but and, then he references, I, I don't know. And that's also, I'm like, am I, I'm not trying to be too nitpicky on it either. But it was something that was like, well, this is noticeably something that comes up in my mind. And I try to make sense of every single time and nothing's coming and I'm, and I'm going blank on it in which when you look back quickly and look, I don't think honor is fully interacting with anyone in all of that. Even when the thugs approach, approach the two on that bridge, which also looks just like some bridges there in Chicago. Uh, it, you can read where honor says, all right, back off soldier. Here's my personal bodyguard. And then the next panel, it's like the guy, that reads the guys like this, and then it's a it's a cuss word, of course, and censored. But that can be read as a response, or he's just he's kind of only talking to Bruce. So yeah. it's like, well, then that works that he didn't necessarily talk to anybody, and Bruce was doing a lot of this. But I mean, you've got Honor's the one who was pushing the cart, and then yeah. Bruce is pushing the cart, and then Honor is pushing the cart. So it's like, well, then that's something that's actually moving, and then. Yeah, well, that- Honor had the sign too, and the the cup for change. Mm-hmm. And then you see like a woman going into her purse in front of him. And then the next panel is all right. This is for you. And like he's like giving Bruce some of the money. Yeah. So I don't know. He's just he's he's confusing, and it, he's not in a way of like oh I hate this part. It's a can connecting the the reasoning for like how is this plausible how does this happen i think i keep saying plausible batman plausible that's the story i've read by grant morrison uh a fun fact is that in when he does get that bat radio and in the cloth that next panel is uh bruce is looking at this thing that we don't know what it is he's in a giordano park so that's fun that's a fun little nugget uh, just the way that they mentioned that they're going on an odyssey, it brings something mythical to mind. Mm-hmm. And he kind of like um, Obi-Wan Kenobi's out here. Or maybe Yoda's a better analogy. Yoda's the one who disappeared when he died. But 
he, he says that he never did anything he could be proud of, but imagine if he could just save one life. And this whole time with Bruce, he's getting him back on his feet. He's keeping him alive by keeping him moving, uh, helping get those drugs worked through his system with his metabolism, teaching him the ropes of the streets. Like that makes Honor's life worth something because he kept Batman alive. He saved Batman. And then all of a sudden he just like magically disappears. Like he just becomes a spirit. And by that point, most of the stuff has gone through Bruce's system. So like his job is done. He's like Clarence and it's a wonderful life. He, he saved George Bailey and now he goes back to heaven to get his wings. So he's kind of like that type of character, I guess. Which again, that's, that's fine. I mean, and, and this is this is Morrison's goal was, you know, the ultimate supernatural Batman story. Yeah. And if we look at it as Batman versus the devil, then it makes it a little more plausible to have an angel type character, even if it's just for a moment. Yeah, because if there's a devil, then there's an angel. Like, yeah, you can't have one and not expect to have the other. Uh the the end of that issue in itself was the is the bat suit the Zernar bat suit. What did you think of that then? What do you think of it now? Well, it's not my favorite look for Batman, mm-hmm. but I knew um, I knew of it before reading the story. My my friend had one of those old trades that had that story in it, so I was familiar with it. I mean, it's it's pretty gaudy. It, it clashes really bad. But I mean, Daniel's, Daniel does a good job of interpreting it, like making a modern version of it. I'm not exactly sure, you know, where he got all this material or got the belt. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And it, it's cool to, I guess, see it brought to life in a more gritty, realistic um, way and not, I'm, Batman on this other planet and I have the powers of Superman and hey I sound like Kevin Conroy <laughs> I I didn't mind it then I still don't mind it it's definitely it's become I don't know if you'd say it's easily identifiable if you see anything like this of like oh yes. Batman R.I.P oh and Batman R.I.P I'm not gonna lie I did run around Gotham in uh, Batman Arkham Knight quite a bit in this suit <laughs> just because it was so like out there and because of my connection to the story. I mean, why not? So I mean, if it's there, then pff, of course go for it. I don't think my, my opinion on it has not changed. Uh, I think it's, it's really well illustrated and it's uh, by Tony Daniel and it's colored really well. Uh, the, I remember instantly with Batmite popping over his shoulder I was like, I like that he has a bat, like an actual bat. Okay, so my instant reaction to Batmite was "son of a bitch," because I'm not a huge fan of Batmite. He drives me nuts. Some people would say, "Well, that's the point," but it's like, but it's not enjoyable that he's driving me nuts. Sometimes you can like somebody like, "Ah, it drives me nuts." It's funny to watch, funny to read, whatever. I did not notice that he had a bat until this time, because there's one image when they're on the on the gargoyles. And you see that the, his bat is. Wait, are you are you talk, you're talking about Batmite has a bat, or you're saying like Batmite is like Batman? I was bat. saying Batman actually has a bat. Oh, a bat. Oh, <laughs> a bat. Okay. Like that Elseworlds story, Scar of the Bat. 
where he fights Al Capone uh, with Elliot Ness, and they call him the Batman because he's got a baseball bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it, got it, got it. But yeah, yeah, there is there is something on Batmite. Okay, because that's too. what I was trying to think is like, is that a bat that's clung to his cape? Is that that's yeah, a weird shape to be a bat? But I've never noticed that before, and I think it's definitely. I don't. I don't know why. I don't know how I've never noticed it before. And then this time, because it's digital, and I can zoom in on it too, and I'm like, what the hell is that? But back to yeah, that might like. Is that? It's almost like a spider in some panels, though. It's it's trippy. I don't know like what when, the point when of Bruce, it is. But... When Batman's in front of the broken mirror, mm-hmm. and Batmite Batmite's leaving in during in the theater scene, like it's like creeping around his head, and there's another leg going around his neck, and then two other ones coming out of his back. I don't know what that is. What are you? <laughs> But I mean, as for Batmite's inclusion in this, I actually, I don't mind it. Especially, and it does serve a purpose of it's like, it's his conscience, you know? It's another, and that that doesn't bother me really in this story of how it's going. It's like, we've all got that other voice in our head. And in this case, it's Batmite. That worked for me, actually. And it's, it's part of that backup operating system that that didn't get fully developed yet because he wasn't ready for it. So that's why he's, I kind of took it like he's a little misshapen and odd looking. And I like too that that Batman um, calls him Might M I G H T. Yeah. As opposed to Small Might M I T E. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that was something I won't be able to find it in time, but that was something that Morrison obviously it was intentional because he wrote it that way but i think it's on the wikipedia page i think um the reason on why he did that and i can't i'm not going to misquote on like what he said but uh yeah maybe by the end of our discussion i'll have well it i mean bat might serves to give him strength to keep going with the mission oh the bat might do this it's written as M-I-G-H-T in this case, as the character is meant to be a voice of reason to Zernar, as in, quote, the bat might do this. That was his, his reason. So, like I said, it nothing, nothing to do with strength and being mighty. It's like, eh, he might do that. Yeah, he might do that. Oh. He might beat the, the holy hell out of somebody in a theater to try and get an answer. He might not. But, hey, let, you know what? Let's go ahead and do it. <laughs> Why not? Uh I'd like to now kind of dip into the, the grand old finale in Arkham Asylum. A Batman story finale in Arkham mwah, is always like worth the excitement. It just, it just seems so right of like, yeah, some, some kind of big confrontation in Arkham Asylum. It's and it's Morrison returning to Arkham Asylum. Damn right it is. Damn right. No Amadeus, but that's okay. We've got Dr. Hurt and Arkham is uh taken out by Lee Bossu and his little gargoyle henchmen. But this is the big old, this is kind of like what, what you're almost led to believe. This is what the black glove now uh, they were kind of working toward that kind of doesn't work for me, but a big gamble of these, of these people, like a sick game in the end. And the funniest damn thing to me is that this guy, as all idiot villains do think they can control the Joker. 
bunch of fools. And I, I love, I think if there's one thing in Batman RIP that I love, it is how Morrison uh, writes the Joker. Yeah. Love it. I love it. This is so creepy in that, at the end of that first issue um, of where we're kind of like get a glimpse inside Joker's head or his fantasies or something. But then like here and then here now their interactions, basically how what the Joker on Lee Bossu um, has his outer appearance match or, his outer ugly match the inner ugly classic Joker. Joker would do something like that. And then basically how like, sure, for so long, he's all for this whole challenging of Batman. And then quickly is just like, yeah, you idiots. Like I'm, I'm betting for the Batman, but then he calls it out too of like, Oh, so this is the time when Batman and him are face to face. And like, so this is where you think it's going to be like, we're going to do our team up. This is the right time for a team up. And that doesn't happen. It's like, Morrison just plays with Joker so perfectly of like, no, you can never predict the Joker because you have no idea what he's going to do. He's capable of anything at any time. Well, and then when, when Hertz like Joker stop there, my good and faithful servant, yeah. like, the look <laughs> of disgust and anger on the Joker's face. Yeah. That one, he's being touched and two being ordered around. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, that comes into play in Batman and Robin in a big, big way. Yeah, and he's having such a like he's this is his theatrical performance. Like he's loving this. He's getting such a kick out of it. And it's like you've got something going and somebody just hits your brakes on it. And he's like, You son of a bitch. <laughs> Speaking it, of hitting the brakes right now, while I'm thinking about it, uh at the end of the first issue, where you mentioned how uh Le Bosseau goes to Joker and he's got the uh Warshack test. And Joker's picturing like everyone murdered in the Bat family. How does your hoopla copy end on that last page where Joker's saying another pretty flower and it's a splash? Um, is, is he clean looking or is he bloody? Oh, he's bloody. Okay. So apparently that's an error. Okay. Yeah, so I guess that wouldn't... Well, go ahead. He's, he's bloody in in his head when he's imagining what he's seen in the war shack, which is everyone slaughtered. But then all that stuff is in black and white and red. And then by that last page though, we're in reality. So he should be clean. My deluxe edition, he's clean. I mean, he's got the scars from uh, the prose issue. But when I read it on DC universe or the, app that formerly known as DC universe. I mean, he's a mess. There's blood on his face. There's blood on his apron. It's everywhere. And I found out doing my research today that that was an error, but I guess they didn't correct it on the digital versions. So the, the physical issues themselves. I think the physical, I haven't checked my copy. I'm assuming the physical issue has it. Cause that's where they would have gotten the scan from. But my reprint in the deluxe version has that corrected. That's nifty. Yeah. Because they like, like Easter DC eggs. Likes, DC likes to do that. They like to fix their mistakes. <laughs> they like to say, That's why, <laughs> like my new 52 Batman Incorporated issue where it does the flashback to Bruce meeting Talia. Mm-hmm. He's in the new 52 costume. 
But then because Morrison wanted it the original way in the absolute edition, he's in the blue and gray with the yellow oval. Wow. So they like to do those little tweaks in between volumes. Whenever yeah. they can. Well, now next time that I'm able to, I'm going to get in my long box and I'm going to grab this. I'm going to see what my, you know, what the physical, even what if you were to tell me, Oh no, physical issues, they're like this. I'm like, I still got to go grab mine. Right. And see it. What do you think of this look overall though? This short lived iteration of him in like the long kind of like gown. Yeah. Uh, I think it's with creepy. the with the scar in the forehead from the bullet wound. Yeah, I think it's creepy. Um, I can't think of who exactly it is reminding me of. It's from something I've seen in a movie. I swear it, but I can't. I'm not saying they were inspired by this story or anything like that, but I yeah, I think it's I think it's creepy. I I really like how that first issue ends with the Joker because it's such a a creepy, um, uncomfortable note. Is it uh, more or less successful for you than the uh, ripped off and sewn back on with leather straps face from uh, New 52? Um, I think this, if I had to choose, hey, we're going to do another story. Do you want to see the cutoff face or do you want to see this like white gown? I think I'd probably say white gown. Yeah, that's where I'd be too. I think that that's very that it's creepy, definitely um, in the death of the family. Uh, I think that yeah, it's very effective and really creepy. But I mean, if I gotta choose one out of these two options, I think I'd go with with this one. And then it's fitting too of what he shows up in later on too of you know purple pants and the suspenders. Um, he's skinny, but like so freaking threatening and then oh yeah he licks a, a a knife and gets a snake tongue that's messed up oh yeah that ugh, that creeps me out i don't know you, why you can feel it it's been 12 years and so many readings and i can still yeah. he does that it's like oh <laughs> but i mean that's just like in me not so it's just that's the strongest part of the story for me I think is this when the Joker gets involved because he becomes such a disruption to the plans, you know, and we get Morrison twice delivers Batman RIP. He literally buries him. And then basically there's a crash where he goes in the river and you kind of, that could, it left it, it, like make you think that oh he's dead like quote unquote and it's like so there's two kind of like death scenes there and i mean i like batman's big his big comeback moment into arkham um and and fighting him and stuff but i like i don't know i just really it's so messed up that i'm kind of like i just really love what the joker does to these because when it's like it's a group of really bad people so yeah joker take him out (laughs) <laughs> get rid of him right well yeah you don't feel bad that joker just murdered a husband in front of his wife because this guy is a piece of garbage yeah so it's like yeah he probably deserved it it's like we can't feel sympathy for people who are gambling yeah. on people dying like yeah why what that you're an idiot you don't understand uh irony 
in a way, <laughs> hypocrisy. He's, yeah, he's like he's like the twisted hero at this point. Yeah, because exactly. Batman being infected by the Joker toxin and laughing himself to you know death. Mm-hmm. He got buried right after that. That flips their roles and makes Joker the hero because now he's fighting the Black Glove. I think they're quick to just kind of wrap up the Joker and that the Joker just gets out of Arkham and then he's <laughs> raising hell in Gotham in I an ambulance. I love that bit though. I love and, this, that bit so much. And the Batmobile hits it, knocks it off the bridge and it was Damien driving the Batmobile with yeah. Alfred and that's it. And I'm kind of like, I mean, okay, but. Eh. Oh no, I, I love that I so love much because he's just going crazy. And again, it's so weird to see like, like this would have come out like a month or two after the dark night where you've got Heath Ledger taking control of that cop car running down yeah. the street. And now we have the Joker in an ambulance and just totally caught off guard because the Joker is a wild card mm-hmm. and he just gets discarded from the game. And, and the thing that I love about it the most is he gets taken out by Robin. And I don't even know if Damien knows what he did. I, I have no idea if that was on purpose. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm going to take out the Joker. Or he's just like, I'm a kid in a Batmobile for the first time. And he's just having a blast joyriding. Let me tell you. First, this being the first time in a long while that I'm, I'm reading this, I totally forgot about that part. And I read it as if almost like, well, he's a cold kid. Because as far as he knew... An actual like that was a paramedics were in there with the yes exactly and he just knocks him off the bridge and couldn't care less and just keeps on going and it's almost like it's written as if it's a joke okay well we're readers so it works with us we're not supposed to yeah and dissect this crap so on that note of course but then it's also like i mean if you break it down you start to think about it he could have killed paramedic worker and like a patient and stuff and not even know it. But I mean, also I just giggled at that. So maybe there's dark humor in that too. Who knows? It, it works. Not a big deal. And, and the, the cool thing looking down the road too, is it does take Joker off the table for a while. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, which, despite all the great Joker stories we've been getting this last year, it's, it's kind of nice to have a break. Yeah. And, you know, let them build up some of their power again. And that's, and that's where, and that's where I don't really have a problem with it either. Cause I know it's just like, it felt like, well, we, here's a loose thread. We've got to, we've got to wrap this up. How do we do that quickly? Okay. Well that this works. We didn't need a whole seven minute showdown between Batman capturing the Joker again or something. Um, the Joker's been most effective already. And this is a good way that Morrison's going to bring him back in later. Uh, It's fine. That, that all works fine for me. And I mean, we've kind of already, we've slightly touched on Jezebel. Uh, She was in cahoots the whole time, part of the plan. I I mean, mean, were you really surprised when her name means like treacherous woman? Yeah, no. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, granted, it's not like I knew that reading it, but when they tell us in it and how Batman figured because of blah, 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 I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the definition of Jezebel is an impudent, shameless, or morally unrestrained woman. So, gee, what I mean, a coincidence. It's, it's right gr- there in the name. <laughs> but I like that, you know, we keep that comic book trope of Vicky Vale, Silver St. Cloud, 
Jezebel Jet, Lois Lane. We've got that alliteration going. Ooh, that whole Jezebel Jet part, like that totally just reeks in of like, that's a Bond thing, I think. Yes. Yeah. And, which, I mean, Morrison kind of did little, you know, I felt little nods in his run, especially that Club of Heroes arc of like, feels a little James Bondish here and there. Well, so that fits. No, they perfect. even, before that arc, they, when they're skiing on the mountain, which is a very Bondian thing to do. Yeah. Uh, she says that the bodyguards say that he that Bruce is cool like James Bond, yeah. and he like lifts up his right. glasses or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, I'm much cooler than he is," <laughs> and and you know I'm a huge James Bond fan, and I just I love that moment so much. It's it's Batman having fun and just enjoying for a moment all the cool stuff that he gets to do. Yeah, uh, I mean the. I forget what his name is, but basically that. I mean, would he be considered the second Batman? Morrison brings back as the the helicopter drive pilot. Uh, Lane. Okay, uh, that was I think a nice. He's the third. He's the third. Okay. Is he the third? Because the first one is the cop with the gun that shoots Joker. Yeah, I don't remember if we saw Lane and then the big Bane-like Batman, or vice versa. Lane is in six sixty six which I want to say is just after that. That's but that right. story is also a possible future. So I don't know if that counts. 64 and 5 was the, the Bane-like Was the, the Bane-like guy. So yeah, Lane yeah, would have okay. been the third one in 666. Okay. But that's, um, a, that's a future story when Damien is an adult and, and Batman. Yeah. Um, and he's Batman because he made a deal with the devil. The devil. So I like that's another little thing of like oh Morrison's bringing back some somebody that he's introduced or some aspect that he's already introduced so it's not much but it's still it's one of those little things of like oh some connective tissue okay that's cool but I mean it's just a whole speech from her here on um you know the villain gets a, a big speech at the end and my mind's already mostly made up at this point to where everything he says it doesn't it's just not working for me a whole lot I know that I uh, I don't want to say I'm in the minority, but it's. I think it's kind of evenly split, and there are a lot of people that this totally works for them, and I'm happy for them. I'm happy for you, Javi, if this works for you. If you really like this, I'm happy for you. It, it does. Thank you. <laughs> I want you to be happy, okay? I, I am very happy with this story and this whole run. It just makes me want to take a week off and read, you know, yeah. some odd comics in a row. Listening to Hans Zimmer soundtracks. Ooh. Well, now you're creating a mood. I need to have a little date with myself this weekend. <laughs> there you go. Um, I mean, roughly, like, we've already kind of alluded the helicopter crashes with all three of them in it. We don't see anybody pop up. So it's just a, you know, assumption that they're dead. But I, I do like the the capper of... Talia and the Ninja Man bats. Yes, going after Jezebel. I thought that was a that's a great touch. Now I love Talia. You know, she's almost another aspect of like Selena of except more so. Definitely, she's definitely a villain, but also like after Bruce as a villain, but then also like as a lover. Like <laughs> I feel like like jealousy of her, like uh uh-uh, uh nobody's taking down my beloved. Okay, except me. I feel like this is the start of her um, villainy 
I mean, yes, yeah, she was Raish's daughter, but there, it didn't really seem like she was going along with all that. She just loved Batman. Yeah. And this is where she starts to kind of take over for her dad and become that threat, which, you know, we'll get to at the end of Morrison's run altogether. Yeah, we had no idea at this point. Just where, how far she was going to go. Exactly. So uh, that ends up playing out wonderfully. But, I mean, here uh, she's used minorly, but it's also, I don't know, I think effectively. It's kind of fun. And that's a great capper of, like, yeah, Jezebel's, she's done. She gone. Yeah. And I guess 12 years later, we haven't seen her. She's never going to – we see her one more time, but let's just say she's not the head of a major country anymore. When did we see her again? I think it's the end of the original volume of Incorporated. Okay. Um, that Leviathan Strikes special. Yeah. Okay. Like, like they get to the very end of whatever mission they're doing in oh, the control see room, and we see her head. That's right. Yep. There you go. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Literally, she's the head. Um. Yeah, so I think that's... Is there anything left that you want to say about... Well, before we get to that, let's, let's, go, to, let's go to the favorites section. Do you have a favorites part of Batman R.I.P.? Well, my favorite panel... All right, do you have a favorite panel of Batman my R.I.P.? <laughs> my favorite panel or page is uh, Batman coming out of the grave. All right, I'm, we're, doubling, a, we're doubling up on this one. That's my favorite panel. Yeah, I mean, it's the easy choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tony Daniel does some great art, but like this, it's a splash page. There's one tiny caption at the bottom, and it is the Dark Knight. Yep, resurrected. The coloring's kind of the star on on this pa- oh, yeah. on this panel with the the blues, purples, blacks. It it creates such a mood and. As I say, I think on every damn episode that people get annoyed with it is I love if I could just look at an image and it's like, oh yeah, I could create, a, you know, in your mind, you can create a story with this of what happened before or after this and whatever. Yeah. And I think this instantly, it's like, well, this just looks awesome. Now this looks like, oh, this could totally work as if this, 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 or this or whatever, you know, I think it's a really effective shot. And even the page before where Batman's breaking out of the ground, mm-hmm. he's kind of in silhouette, his hands striking out at an odd angle, yeah. and the lightning's crashing. It's kind of like thematically tying in with that Dark Knight Returns cover. Yeah. And the Dark Knight is returning right now. So He is, but I'm just... Well played. It, yeah. All right, well, let's go to the favorite part. Do you have a favorite part of Batman R.I.P.? <laughs> I have a favorite part of Batman R.I.P. Thank goodness. And that is the end. Okay. So it, it's a bit of a journey, so bear with me. <laughs> when it finishes, I am <laughs> favorite part. No, yeah, my, my story mm-hmm. <laughs> of why this is my favorite. Mm-hmm. At around the same time over in Spider-Man, his identity got out into the world the kingpin put out a contract on him. The assassin missed because spider sense and it hit aunt may. Mm. So she's dying again. And Peter goes to everyone in the Marvel universe, Dr. Strange, Mr. Fantastic. No one is able to save her life. She even tells him that she's ready to go. A God like figure comes and tries to make him feel better about it. But at the end of the day, 
he and, and his wife sacrifice their marriage so Aunt May can be resurrected by basically the Marvel devil, Mephisto. He gives into that temptation to save his aunt, who doesn't want to be saved necessarily. And usually when you do like a devil deal in the story, there's like, yeah, you got what you wanted, but not in the way you wanted it. And now things are even worse than before. Like in most stories, he would have made the deal, sold his true love to the devil and Aunt May would have been alive for a week and then got hit by a bus. So then it was all for nothing and the devil laughs and wins and ha ha ha. But that's not what happened. So that was really um, disappointing to me to see one of my childhood heroes like compromise like that. And I really felt like the weight of editorial, like it, it ruined the, it, it broke the, the reality for me. Like I, I couldn't get into it anymore. Like I felt that outside presence guiding that story. So in this climax where we have Batman fighting the devil, he's, he's just going after him and going after him. And no matter what the devil throws at him, like, Hey, I'm your dad. No, really I'm your dad. And okay, maybe I'm not your dad, but, you know, if you don't join me, I'm going to slander your parents' names throughout the media. Alfred, everyone's going to be a drug addict, a pervert, a criminal. Everyone's going to think horrible of your family that you hold so dear unless you agree to serve my purpose, the black glove. Unless you willingly dedicate your life to the corruption of virtue. Are you ready to deal? And Batman's response is not now, not ever. And so Hurt curses him that the next time he wears the cape and cow, it'll be his last. So as he goes after Hurt for this presumably final time, he's narrating in his black casebook. Um, and you can see that Hurt is starting to panic. The helicopter is going out of control. Um, and it's just like, I read it before, but in Bruce's dialogue, he's like, did I open up myself to some pure source of evil? Did I finally reach the limits of reason and find the devil waiting? And he punches through the glass at that part while Hurt's like trying to console himself saying, but the black glove always wins. And as the plane or the helicopter crashes, he's like, it was that fear in his eyes. Like this is the story of Batman fighting the devil and the devil's afraid of Batman. Batman can't be corrupted. And he's, he's unstoppable in his commitment to his ideals. And that to me is like the exact opposite of that other story I'd read. And just in a whole, this, it makes Batman the ultimate hero in this whole tapestry of the story because Morrison's Batman isn't just a comic book. It's, it's a myth that mixes so many different things together from the origin of the character to the beginning of time into the future. And it just, it's this giant, epic and there's no other medium that you can do this story in you can't adapt it into a movie you can't do a two-part animated show about it like you need all this time and space to tell this story in this way with the effective visuals and it just it's just something that gets to me whenever i i doubt 
myself or I need to be picked up or reminded of something and to stand firm in something. Like I can come to this story and I can find that strength from it. All right. So this is going to be really sad. I should have gone first. <laughs> because uh, you give that, that explanation and some insight and some feelings and some connections. And I'm like, yeah, my favorite part is when the Joker talks to, you know, uh, her and all the people in Arkham. That is also really good. I love that part. <laughs> no, there's, oh, is it because it connects to something with you? No, it's because it's creepy. He's menacing and it's written well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell. I mean, that, that, that right there is like in a nutshell. I think right there I went, bleh, almost like a little porky bear. Um, that's kind of like... And I, I, I get why this isn't everyone's favorite story, and I get why Morrison's not their favorite writer. Maybe this isn't their favorite era. But, I mean, for me, and it came at a time in my life, too, where I was going through a lot of stuff personally. Yeah. Um, like a couple years you know, after this, I was going through a separation and divorce, and I could go back to this story which was still being told mm -hmm. you know through the pages of incorporated when you um, need it when you need some escapism and it connects like perfectly in that right mood it like i don't know there's just it's magic yeah so i totally get that so to wrap up um here javi like what are your final thoughts on batman r.i.p uh, for me personally, it is it is a, a classic story. Mm -hmm. It's who Batman is at his core against the greatest villain of all fiction or reality, if that's your if that's your belief. But he's taking on the ultimate evil and he comes out on top because he's the Batman. He's thought of everything or tried to. He's made the preparations, and at the end of the day, he's, he found strength in his pain, and he's used that strength to not only help others, but you know, to conquer the ultimate evil at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, Grant Morrison, he's ambitious. He's a very yeah. good writer. He's very thoughtful. He's so respectful of the character and lore of Batman. Like hundred percent. No matter where you fall in his stories, I think that's so evident that he is not making a mockery of this character and anything. He's shown respect respect for his history with all of the nods and stuff he's created, as well as like you know stories from the fifties and such. This is this is an ambitious story that doesn't fully connect with me, even after all these years. However, I do continue to revisit it. But if, if we hadn't done this episode, it wouldn't have been too long and I would have read it again myself because it'd be, oh, it's been a while because there are just parts of this that I really, really yeah. enjoy. There's nothing that I 100% absolutely hate. Uh, there's things that I find probably at worst is leaning the negative side of okay. It's just a lot of the the big swings here that I think should be the connective tissue that gets me excited and a big aha moment leave me a little like yeah, okay which you know kind of anchors the story down to like an it's an all right story for me but 
I'm glad that there are many people out there that this just really works for them. And it sounds like that's Javi. Yes. So that's good. I'm glad that, that you enjoy this. And then of course, like this is just, you know, the front third of the Grant Morrison Batman saga in which he, he built onto this. And I'll say, and actually there's going to be a, an episode not too far in the distant future, discovering that first, that first part of his Batman and Robin run, which to me is my favorite of all of this. That's my favorite thing that Morrison did is that Batman and Robin run, which is great because I love Bruce Wayne as Batman and this didn't have that. I do not like Damien and it has it. And yet somehow that dynamic worked perfectly. But this is not the Batman and Robin show, but I'll just say that, that I was so surprised with how this story left me feeling a little like bummed because I wasn't really enjoying it on that first read. Uh, yeah, that was a good recovery with Batman. Yeah, the, the appreciation for me has definitely come over time with repeat mm-hmm. uh, readings. And I don't, I feel like every time I'm still learning something or catching something or just feeling a deeper meaning, maybe not comprehending the deeper meaning, but I feel like I'm getting closer to some understanding of it. Yep. And that, and it's that whole thing, the whole storyline where we go from here gets even more um, meta mm-hmm. and, and just more grand in scale and mythological. And it's, it's comics, man. Where else are you going to get stuff? Like <laughs> comics, read more comics, read more Batman comics. Well, that puts a bow on Batman R.I.P. Javi, thanks for choosing this. And thanks for coming back and talking some more Batman with me. It's such a pleasure. Well, thanks, man. I'm trying to catch up with Pete and Garrett. So I got a long way to go. <laughs> you do. Those guys, they, they get a little antsy. They've got, they've got some residency here on the show. So, I mean, they're greedy. What can I say? They're greedy. Um, uh, where? Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm, I'm happy to be back again. I really appreciate it. Well, come on back. Okay. Don't, this was not an RIP for Javi. Okay. Sweet. It's not a service for him. Yeah. We're not burying him at all. So um, if anybody doesn't follow you or anything, do you have anything you can plug? Uh, well, you can find me at Javi True, J-A-V-I-T-R-U on Instagram and uh, Twitter. And I am writing reviews over at batmanonfilm.com. Currently working on Batman Catwoman, which if you're not reading that, uh, how dare you? Yeah. Even if you don't like Tom King's run, which can be hit or miss at times. Yeah. Like so far we're two issues in and this is great for nothing else. This is the first uh, non-animated appearance of the phantasm in the comics in not in the animated universe. So it's just getting started. And of course I'm also doing Batman black and white right now. Uh, Second issue is coming out um, next week as of this recording um, so that should be probably on the stands by the time you listen to this. And that first issue, I really enjoyed a lot. I always love just getting weird, different takes on Batman and getting these little short stories. Very cool. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Go to batmanonfilm.com and find Javi there. As for me and the Batman book club, you can follow it on Twitter and Instagram at the Batman BC for upcoming episodes, latest episode drops, and even some giveaways. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan, Lauer spelled like lower. And speaking of Batman on film, they are the host 
of the Batman Podcast Network. Just go to batmanpodcastnetwork.com for a whole list of other great nerdy shows that share a lot of our interests. Just go there, take a listen, some good stuff. You can write into the show at thebatmanbc at gmail.com for questions or comments. All concerns go to Eric Holzman. And lastly, if you would ever be so kind, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. A link to the Apple Podcast site is in the description of this episode. It helps spread the word. And as we all know, that word is panic. So for Javi, I am Ryan. And until next time, read more Batman comics.